Mark Twain once famously said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) Have you noticed people are weird? I mean, I'm not talking about any of us. I mean, I'm talking about other people, right? I mean, people are weird and people can be so different. I mean, differences can be based on any number of factors. I, I, I think of uh, differences even just based on, on, on how we grow up, you know, different generations, different life experiences. You know, a culture is such a powerful thing because it, it can shape how we see the world. Depending on when you grew up, you might see the world a little bit differently. Like those of you who grew up in the 70s, do I have any of you with us today? Come on, those of you who grew up in the 70s, all right, do you remember, do you remember the fashion that you brought to the table? Maybe uh, some bell bottoms and, 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 and a mood ring, like if you were super cool, right? Some of you wore tube socks that cut off the circulation in your legs. Had the three stripes on the top of them. Uh, yeah, I don't hear any cheers for those. Some of you as kids, maybe, like you uh, took really good care of your pet rock. <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that idea. Hey, kids, here's a rock. Make sure you take good care of it and pay me $50. Some of you grew up watching watching Sesame Street. That That was something that was new to kids in the 70s. Some of you watched a movie that has prevented you from ever swimming in the ocean. Jaws, right? Came out in the 70s. Remember that? Some of you were, uh, were, were in your homes jamming to your favorite eight track because you were cool like that. And um, your generation gave us maybe the most famous song of all time, YMCA. And my generation will never forgive you for it. All right. Uh, you, you, uh, you probably played on your favorite game system, the old Atari. Right, that was, that was radical technology at the time. And maybe some of you, when you had people over at your house, couldn't wait to show off maybe the greatest invention up to that time, Tupperware. Show off all your different Tupperware sets and the different colors, right? And, uh, and, and you would show off your Tupperware over dinner and then recline into the living room where people would walk across your shag carpet and make themselves comfortable. Uh, some of you are, are, are children in the 70s. You grew up in the 70s. And then there are some of you like me that grew up in the greatest decade in the history of the world, the 80s. Yes, thank you. Yes. And you were not found in bell bonds because you were too cool for that. You had stonewashed jeans. All the cool kids had them. We wore a lot of neon clothes and uh, ladies, big hair, come on, big hair. A lot of aerosol hairspray was used in the 80s, okay? Inappropriately used. We put all kinds of holes in the ozone layer. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, lots of, lots of uh, aerosol hairspray. We, we, we had the uh, Rubik's Cube to keep us occupied. I never could figure that out. Uh, the way that I solved the Rubik's Cube was to just peel the stickers off and then put them all 
back to where the colors were aligned. I don't know if anybody did that. Um, I, I'll never forget growing up in the 80s, like Friday night, like if mom and dad were happy and, and they were feeling like, you know, being big spenders, we would swing by the old Blockbuster and rent a movie. Oh, that was the best, to go into Blockbuster. Man, it was better than a candy store. You know, like, remember trying to find your favorite movie and then maybe you'd find it, but there were no, no DVDs behind it. Like, oh, that was devastating. There was nothing more devastating than that. MTV, of course, made its debut. We didn't listen to eight tracks as we were cool. We had cassette tapes and we could even take them with us in our Walkmans, baby. I'm telling you, the greatest, the greatest decade ever, right? We had Michael Jackson, not YMCA. We had breakdancing, not disco. We did not grow up on the Atari. We had the original Nintendo, the NES. Mm. And in school, we even had an educational game called the Oregon Trail. Anybody remember that? Come on, you can even play games at school and it was educational, even though I always killed off my whole family. Um, <laughs> but it was fun. Okay, and then uh, maybe, ladies, you weren't into the Oregon Trail. Maybe you had a Cabbage Patch doll. That was big time. And then I'll never forget all my time in school and even in church. You know, we had text messaging back in the 80s. It was just in the form of writing down notes and passing them down the aisle growing up in the 80s. Well, what about those of you in the 90s? Some of you uh, here today, and you grew up in the 90s, right? Like you, 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 you missed the 70s and 80s. You grew up in the 90s, and you didn't wear bell bottoms or stonewashed jeans because you had guest jeans and Tommy Hilfiger jeans. Those were pretty cool. You didn't fool around with a Rubik's Cube or anything like or pet rocks. You had Pokemon cards because you're weird. That's why. Why <laughs> Pokemon cards, right? You weren't worried about Blockbuster because uh, Disney movies made a huge comeback in the 90s. Remember in the 90s, like you had Aladdin, you had Beauty and the Beast, and you had The Lion King. You learned by watching TV, not just TV for fun. Like uh, you, you actually learn things like you watching Blue's Clues and then Barney was your favorite purple dinosaur. You weren't rocking out to the village people because you had all of your boy bands in the 90s. I'm talking NSYNC. I'm talking the Backstreet Boys. Bye, 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 bye. Come on. I mean, right? And you weren't worried about cassette tapes. And like what some of us had to remember is you had a pencil and you had to try to roll up your cassette tape string back in the thing. Like you, you don't have to fool with that. You had CDs and you had a disc man. I mean, y'all were big time in the 90s. You had the Super Nintendo, and if you were really wealthy, maybe a Game Boy. Remember those? You, um, you had jelly shoes that you would wear outside to play in. And then, of course, the biggest invention of all time, dial-up internet. Children of the 90s, you guys were so cool. You had AOL. You, you, guys, you guys were the best. And then some of you, I know a lot of you, you, you were born in like the first decade of the 2000s and you traded in your guest jeans for some skinny jeans and didn't worry about your jelly shoes because you had Crocs. And if you still have Crocs, I'm gonna ask you to find another church, okay? That's just not, 
I don't think we wear those anymore, right? On a cold day like today, maybe your Ugg boots, those came out. That was a really big deal. Some of you, like you, you graduate to an Xbox or a PlayStation, big time technology. And then maybe even on that, you play a little dance, dance revolution. Come on. Okay, maybe not. Your movies were like trilogies, Lord of the Rings, The Dark Knight, and then we got into all these superhero remakes. Um, your TV shows were not educational because you were attached to that guy that lived in a pineapple under the sea. That was, um, that was big time in the early 2000s, right? You also didn't worry about tapes or CDs. You grew up listening to your iPod, digital music. How awesome is that? And then on that iPod, some of you would listen to the, your favorite high school musical soundtrack. Yes, because you have no friends. See, that's what <laughs> people do who listen to that, right? I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to think back like to the way things used to be. Maybe, maybe like you see life through a certain lens related to how you grew up, what generation you're a part of. Like that shapes culture. It shapes how you see the world. It shapes your experience. It shapes some things that you like or dislike. It can shape how you view other people. Like just in how you grew up, there can be incredible implications for how you relate to others or how you see others. And then you factor in things like race for some people is an issue, for others it's politics, for others it's wealth or status. You know, there's all these different prisms through which we view people, personal preferences. We, we, we could get into uh, various likes or dislikes, activities, kids, no kids. And there's all kinds of things that shape how we see other people, how we relate to other people, because we're all different. We all have different upbringings. We all have different experiences. We all have different opinions and preferences. And man, people are crazy. <laughs> and that's what makes this so radical. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, like just the profound nature of what happens in this room every week, but it's radical. Every single week at Bell Shoals through our five campus, you have thousands of people who gather every single week. People from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different opinions, different preferences, different politics, different skin shades, different life experiences, different social statuses. And they all come together and they set all that aside to worship the name of Jesus. Do you understand how radical this is? I, I know we take it for granted, right? I know this is just a normal part of what we do. I, I, I know this is like just, just something maybe that some of us grew up with, but, but I wanna remind us this morning in our study of Ephesians that this is not normal. Like this is radical that you have so many people in so many different places of of life, so many different preferences, so many different upbringings, so many different generations represented, so many different opinions on, 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 on politics or even religion or whatever, and, and so many different backgrounds, but yet people coming together for one mission, one purpose, and one person, King Jesus. 
This is amazing. This is not normal. It's only normal to you if you've been a part of this for a while and maybe you've just kind of gotten over the radical nature of it through your experience. But, but one of the things that the Apostle Paul is gonna remind us of in, in his word to the Ephesian church that he wrote 2000 years ago, as, as the church in Ephesus was forming and growing and learning is that this is actually not a normal thing. This is a radical thing. This is a thing that's only made possible because of the power of Jesus. You go back 2,000 years ago to the, to the city of Ephesus, you find a very strategic city that was primarily occupied by men and women who were non-Jews. These are men and women that grew up with a certain perspective that was radically different than the Jewish perspective. In fact, in this day and time, the, the Jews basically viewed the world in terms of two people groups. There were Jews and there were non-Jews. They were called Gentiles. That was it. I mean, the, the Jewish people did not like break down people based on um, where they lived or what country they were from or any of that. Like basically, if you were a Jewish person, like you were a part of this covenant community that God worked through during the period of the Old Testament and everybody else was known as a Gentile. They, they were outsiders. Like, like these were people who, who were outside of God's blessing and the rights and the privileges of being a part of God's covenant community. And so if you were a Jewish person in the first century, you had no regard for all of these Gentiles. They weren't the covenant people. They, they weren't the people who were blessed to have God working through them. Looking past to the past in, um, in human history. That's not what you were. You were a Gentile. And, and the Jewish people had become very, very proud of their heritage. They'd become very, very proud of all of their legal regulations, all their religious regulations. They actually had become so prideful that they missed the reason that God had worked mildly through them. If you recall, God worked mildly through them, not just for their sake, but for the sake of the whole world. Israel was just supposed to be a conduit of God's blessing to the nations. Right? Do you remember God saying to Abraham, right, the father of the Jewish people? Remember God saying to him, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the ethnicities, all the people groups. Do you remember God working in the period of the Old Testament through a, a woman named Ruth, who was a Moabite, a non-Jew, and God blessed her? Do you remember God sending his prophet Jonah to the Ninevite people, a ruthless and rebellious people, non-Jews? God gave his his grace to the non-Jew. Do you remember God working mightily through his people so that through them, they would be a blessing to all other peoples. But the Jews had now, like at the time of Paul's writing, had become so insulated that they failed to see themselves as a conduit of blessing. They looked down their nose at all these Gentiles. And what did the Gentiles do? Well, the Gentiles looked down their noses at the Jews. You have places of strategic importance like Ephesus where education was 
upheld as a high standard of cultural acceptance. You, you had some places like Athens where debating various philosophies and philosophical achievement like in, in the promulgation of new ideas, that was everything. And so you have the Gentiles who they look down their noses at these Jewish people who have all these weird rules and regulations and they only believe in one God. And we as Gentiles, we have multiple gods. And you, just, you have all this friction and all this tension and then bam, all of a sudden, God comes into human history in human flesh through the person of Jesus and he dies on a Roman cross and he, he's raised from the dead on the third day and he ascends to the right hand of, of the father and he inaugurates a, a kingdom and a people that is unique. And Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, reminds them about how you come into this kingdom. You come into this kingdom not through your rules and regulations, not through your vain philosophies or your pride. You actually come into this kingdom through the blood of Jesus. You come in by his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his initiative and his invitation. And you come into this kingdom by humbling yourself, asking for his forgiveness and committing to follow him for the rest of your life. And this is a kingdom now that's characterized not by rules and regulations, not by philosophy and pride. It's characterized by the shed blood of Jesus for a people who don't deserve it. It's a new community. And so Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. Paul becomes a leader in this new community and he begins to go around. We know them as his missionary journeys. He begins to go around the world, literally the known world at the time. And he's going to places who had never heard this truth, who, who never heard about the life and ministry of Jesus. And Paul begins to proclaim it. And guess what? In all these places, God's moving in a powerful way. Paul goes to Ephesus. He, he, he begins to teach and preach about the ministry of Jesus to Jewish people there in the synagogue. He would go to the Old Testament and say, let me show you how Jesus is the fulfillment to, to, to Greeks and Gentiles, to natural born Ephesians, right? Paul would talk about how, how Christ is the wisdom of God and, 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 and how he is the only God, the one true living God and the only hope for our salvation. And then here's what's happening. Because of God's power in Ephesus, you have these people responding to this salvation and this new community is forming. And what is true of this community? You got some Jewish people coming in and you got some Gentile people coming in. And they're all under one roof. You got some of these people coming in with their Walkmans and their Discmans. You got some people coming in with their, with their iPods. And like, you got like people who like grew up totally differently. You got people coming in with like radically different ideas about what it means to live life in a normal fashion, right? But, but here's the one thing all these people have in common. They, they've all seen their desperate need for salvation in Jesus and they've all committed their lives to him. And now under his blood, this new community is formed and they gotta figure out how they're gonna move forward together. Are you starting to see how radical this is? People who are pretty convinced their politics are right. People who were pretty convinced their religious 
practices were right. People like the Jews who were, who were circumcised as a physical mark that, hey, I'm a naturally born Jew, a member of this covenant community, and others who were uncircumcised. And they didn't have any time for that. And if you don't know what circumcision is, you're new to church, no problem. Just ask Pastor Jason, our worship pastor, after service. He'll be more than happy to explain it to you. Okay, so, so I'm, just, I'm just saying you got people who for their entire lives have been told that they're right and these other people are wrong. You got people for their whole lives, you feel like, hey, I'm on the right track, they're on the wrong track. You got people their whole lives, like, no, I'm, I'm the normal one, they're their weird one, and now they're coming under the same roof, under the blood of Jesus, and it's like, what are you doing here? And, and that's why Paul starts the letter with the reminder, hey, hey, here's, here's the reality. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were made alive. We were raised up. We were seated in heavenly places because of his grace, his kindness and his initiative. None of us are a part of this movement called the church because of what we bring to the table. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. No, it's God's work. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. He does not owe us anything, but he has invited us into his kingdom, into his salvation so that our sin could be forgiven and we could have eternal life. And so now we're in this room for that reason. Our lives changed by the power of Jesus. We have a new identity that is formed, not as a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, not as a Jew or a Gentile, not as a, a, a child of the 80s, of the 90s. No, our new identity is that of Christ follower, period, full stop, right? That's who we are. <laughs> That's what defines us now. And, and so now Paul, having laid out this radical grace that we're given, like, like this overwhelming love and power of God to bring us into a right relationship with him. Here, let me just give you a key takeaway now. He's, he's gonna show us that we have unity in our diversity because of our identity. We are in Christ. This theme keeps surfacing throughout the first two chapters. We are in Christ. That's our identity now. And this is radical. I mean, radical. That for 2000 years, men and women have been coming together out of different backgrounds, in different politics, in different religions, in different preferences, in different upbringings and generations. And they're, they're coming together and they're worshiping together and they're serving together and they're giving together and they're praying together and, and they're going on mission together because their new identity and their primary identity is that of Christ followers. And so there's unity even in the midst of all the diversity because of this identity. And that's why the scriptures teach us that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And if you're like me and you're a child of the 80s, listen, I, I think heaven's gonna look a whole lot like what we grew up with, okay? Because there's no other way to explain the big hair except for the power of the Holy Spirit to hold it in place. Right, I mean, God had to be in that generation, right? <laughs> no, I mean, listen, you, 
you, you look at where you are now in life, here's what is so cool. If, if you'll come to a place in your life, you haven't done this, where you see your desperate need for God, you see what Christ has done for you, you ask him to come into your life to forgive you, to cleanse you, to, to, to adopt you as his son or his daughter, he will do it today, he'll radically change your life. And then he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit and, and you begin to, to live life with meaning and purpose. And you'll also begin to live life in community with other people who have been equally as radically changed as you. And what you discover is, you know what, the generation I grew up in, that's just not the biggest deal about me anymore. And my, my politics, that's just not the biggest thing about me anymore. And my preferences and traditions, that's just not the most important thing about me anymore. And, and you realize very quickly, the most important thing about you is who you're living for, and that's Jesus. And you come into this community where you look around the room and you're like, Everybody, everybody else is living for the same person. We're all in this for the fame of Christ and his name in the world. We're all in this to make much of him. We're all in this because he's called us to something new and radical and fulfilling and authentic. And that's what this thing is all about. Everything else is now secondary. There is unity in our diversity because of our identity. Let me show you how Paul emphasizes this. Remember, we're coming off of a section where he just said, you were dead, but Christ has made you alive. He's raised you up. He's seated you in heavenly places, right? So, so that's our identity now. We're in Christ. And so look at this. So then, he's, he's harking us back to that truth that we were dead and now we're alive, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a, a Jew and you're dead or if you're a Gentile and you're dead. You're dead. Dead is dead. And God works in the world to make all people alive because God loves all people. Isn't that good news? God loves all people. And so then if you were dead, but God's made you alive through your salvation, remember that at one time you were Gentiles. He's writing to these, right? Like these naturally born Ephesians, these people who were Gentiles. Remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcised by those who were called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. I love the fact that, 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 that at school recess in Ephesus at one point in human history, there were kickball teams being picked by those who were circumcised or uncircumcised. <laughs> I love like that was a criticism, right? Doesn't that seem so silly to us, right? You know, oh yeah, well, you're uncircumcised. <gasps> oh, wow. Like if someone said that to you tomorrow at work, psh, yeah, you're just uncircumcised. You'd be like, you are a freak weirdo. Like what? In fact, don't, I'm not recommending any of you say that tomorrow, okay? Don't, right? Like that's not how we, but... But at this time, the physical mark of a, of a, of a man who was, who was a part of this Jewish community was circumcision. And I just want you to see, these were walls of division. These are like categories, right? The, uh, they're Gentiles, they're Ephesians, they're, they're uncircumcised. They're not a part of the community of faith. We're circumcised, right? Like they had t-shirts, I'm circumcised, how about you? <laughs> We've got actually, we have some of those for sale out in the welcome hall for $15. You can wear those. Okay, look at what Paul's saying. He's saying at one time you were Gentiles and you were, here's what he's saying. You were, you were mocked because you weren't a part of the naturally born Jewish community. And so you were mocked, all right? And so then he, then he goes on to say this in, in verse 12. At that time you were without Christ. Like you were outside the covenant community because it, up until the point where Christ is working through his earthly ministry, like salvation is coming through the Jewish nation. And, 
And so at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, I love how this, this mirrors what Paul said in the first 10 verses of chapter two. Remember the, but God, you were dead, but God has made you alive, raised you up, seated you in heavenly places. He's saying now, hey, Gentiles, specifically you were of the uncircumcised. You were outside the rights and privileges of Israel, but now in Christ, notice that's our identity. We are in Christ. You who were far away of been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then check this out. I love this. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing walls of hostility. I just love that. He's like, you used to be a Gentile. You used to be a part of these uncircumcised people. You used to be outside the rights and regulations of Israel. But now God has brought you in. He's, he's abolished these two groups. He's made one new group, this covenant community of faith uh, where we are covered by his blood. And then you notice what he says here. I love this. And he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Do you realize how many walls exist in our world today that divide people? And hear me, Jesus is the answer to every form of division that is in the world today. Jesus is the answer. Because Jesus doesn't care what your background is. Jesus doesn't care what the shade of your skin is. Jesus doesn't care what your politics used to. Jesus came to make dead people live and he doesn't expect that dead people will operate in any fashion other than spiritual deadness. And when he works to make you alive, he's focused on the new and the next. And the new and the next is everybody who's made alive is brought together under this community of faith. And now we're all living for the name and the fame of the one who saved us. And we're not gonna prioritize those walls of division anymore either. I just love Paul saying he has torn down the walls of hostility. Do you realize that in Jerusalem at Herod's temple, there was a 10 foot wall that kept all the Gentiles out? Now just think about how messed up that is. Hey everybody, right here, here's the presence of God. Here's where you can meet God, know God, be saved by God. Oh, but there's a wall here. And if you're not circumcised, you can't get in. I mean, that's like putting a wall around a Chick-fil-A. Why would you ever do that to the world? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, right? Here is the best chicken the world has ever known. It's infused with the Holy Spirit of God, okay? But there's a wall and you have to check something off to get in, right? I mean, that's like crazy, the temple, the place where God met with his people had a 10 foot wall around it and you couldn't get in unless you were a part of that certain people. And what does Paul say about the work of Jesus? Will you look at this metaphor one more time? He has torn down the walls of hostility. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple that separated the presence of God from human beings, it literally, it, it split in two, indicating to us that God is now gonna work through his spirit to indwell the hearts of people so that we are the temple of God. We no longer need a building. 
And here's what Paul is saying. As the temple of God, you and I relate together in a newly formed community where there are no walls. Isn't that good news? There's no walls. Those of us who were dead, who've been made alive, have now been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, and we're now a part of this community where it doesn't matter what used to be true about you. It only matters what is now true about you. And what's true about you is that Jesus has worked to give you a new identity. And he's torn down all of these walls of hostility that once separated us from the rest of the world. Now look at what he says next. He's, he goes on to say that he, 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 he torn down this dividing wall of hostility and in his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed and regulated. In other words, God's not a legalist, right? It's not, you can't, we've already seen this, you can't earn your way to heaven. No, you were dead. The only hope for you is that Jesus makes you alive, right? That happens through faith. And so, and so, and so God has made all this of no effect, right? That's not, that's not his will that we come to him through our own effort, right? So that he might create in himself one new man. This is a metaphor. It's a new people, right? A new identity from the two, from Jew and Gentile. Now we're one, we're one identity resulting in peace. He continues that he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, I love this, we have both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, check this, I just love this, so then. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Can you imagine being a Gentile, maybe even feeling some sort of shame as like a second class citizen and hearing this letter read to you from the apostle Paul saying, there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. You are all citizens of this kingdom, right? Citizens together. And this is a house, notice this analogy, that is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone for in him, the whole building, he's using another metaphor, right? The church, you and me, men and women brought together by the blood of Christ. We are like a building being put together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We are the temple now. Because in him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. We're all in this together. People who grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s together. People with different political ideologies at one time, people with different preferences, people with different stylistic ideas of ministry, people with, with, with different personality. Listen, brought together with a singular identity, we were dead and now we're alive in Christ. And so we're living for his name and his fame. And we're doing it together. The dividing walls of hostility have been torn down and what is God building in its place? A people who are working in the world to communicate his love to everyone who needs it. And there are these different metaphors for the church in the New Testament. You know, like there's a metaphor of family, like we're the family of God. 
There's a metaphor of a body, like Jesus is the head, and then, you know, there's arms and legs and hands and feet, and we're all working together, right? And then, and then I love this metaphor that Paul gives us here. It's a building. And, and what's the cornerstone? What, what holds it all together? Jesus. The death, resurrection of Jesus. That's the foundation. But then check this out. Jesus grafts you into this building, to this new community of faith, and brick by brick, every single one of us is just a brick building on this foundation, and we all serve a meaningful purpose. And so I just want, I want you to understand today that God has a phenomenal plan for your life. May, may I just be, can I just be so bold to, to say to you today that you need the church. And the church needs you. It is not God's will for you to live life alone, for you to be a singular citizen. No, you're a citizen of a new community that is a community of faith in Christ, a community that will live forever together. And therefore, as members of his community, as bricks in this building, right, as members of this family, as parts of this body, you and I need each other. And I know it's really, really popular right now in 21st century America to treat church like we treat everything else with a consumer mentality, right? Yes. When I need a little pick me up. Yes. When, when, when I need a little inspiration. Okay. But, but I just want you to understand Paul's not introducing this radical concept. as just a little pick me up, right? A little shot to get you through the week. This is essential. We need this. We need each other. We need to pray for each other. We, we need to hold each other up, hold each other accountable, encourage one another. We need each other. And if, and if you have this picture of the church as just an activity or a place or something to, to, to give you a little pep in your step, I just want you to understand, no, 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 this is way more radical than that. This is life-changing. And I know some of you are looking around the room and you're like, I don't really wanna go to that person's family reunion. <laughs> And I've got good news for you. You don't have to. <laughs> it's not that every person in Christianity is going to be your best friend, but, but it is. Every single one of us are part of the same building, the same family, the same body, and we need each other. And you may not have lived long enough to have gone through a really difficult season of life, but I promise you when you do, you will come to know and to treasure this radical community that will pray for you and encourage you and bless you. Because the day is coming, you're gonna need it, I promise you. And so if you're here with us today and you're just kind of checking in and out on occasion, maybe you're like, eh, this is just like another activity on the calendar. May I, may I just ask you to consider afresh and anew what this really is. This is radical. This is life-giving, and this is needed. We need you, and you need us. That's why the author of Hebrews says this, is encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. We need each other's encouragement. He says this in chapter 10, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, let me just encourage you. If you haven't connected to a life group yet, stop by one of our connection tables today before you leave and get some information. 
Check out several of our groups that meet. Find one that, that you feel the most comfortable in. I promise you, you'll develop some relationships and friendships that will be life-giving to you. Hey, if you're not serving, man, if you're not, if you're not thinking missionally about at some point in the future, because we're getting back on track here with what we're able to do missionally, if you've never been on a mission trip, or uh, look, can I just encourage you, put a, put a seed right now, plant a seed in your mind that at some point in the next year or two, you're gonna get on mission and go with us. It'll change your life. And you're not a part of what God's doing. Listen, we need you. You need us. This is what God designed you and created you for, to be a part of a community that's honoring and glorifying King Jesus. It's not a community based on your ethnicity. It's not a community based on your upbringing. It's not a community based on your preferences. This is a community that is born out of the blood of Jesus, and we exist for him to bring glory to him. Hey, if you've been watching us online for a while and you love church in your pajamas and coffee, may I just say, amen. <laughs> I thought about just having a pajama day here at Bell Shoals one day. Just come on, let's just, let's just all come like we, like we were when we were online only. You know what I'm saying? And then I got thinking about that and I thought, that's probably a really bad idea. So <laughs> if you wanna come in your pajamas, fine. But I'm just saying like, you know, he, man, can, I just, can I just say that, man, if you're online with us and, and you're, you're able, it's, it's safe for you to come. There's no substitute for being a part of the body of Christ. You know, as I travel every now and then I'll come across a cool site, you know, you see mountains or valleys or something cool, you know, and you send a picture to your family. Isn't it amazing? They're never as excited about it as you are. You know why? A picture can never, ever, ever truly convey what you see in person. And I can't tell how many times my family has offended me over the years because I've sent them something really cool and they just don't get it. <laughs> Isn't this amazing, right? And they're like, yeah, dad, that's cool. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. And they can't see what I see. They can't feel what I feel. And I just want you to understand, every single one of us today, listen to me, God has saved you for you to be a part of a community that's life-giving. And this is a radical community born out of a new identity that gives us unity, even in our diversity. And if you're not all in, can I just encourage you? You need to be all in. It'll change your life. There's nothing like actually being a part of what God is doing.